0: Good morning to you and happy Mother's Day. Pray that all of the moms enjoy this you, your your very special day. We appreciate all of you and we wish you a wonderful, a wonderful Mother's Day. I know that my mom is enjoying all the splendors and glories of heaven, and my grandmother. What a what a joy knowing knowing that they are with the Lord. sheet so if you kind of follow along with us as we go through uh Christ of the book and there's also another sheet back there that sort of puts it in chronological uh, in, uh, in chronological order to you uh, get an idea of what some of were preaching during during this time. Well this morning I want us to talk about Jonah. You may see when uh, we just sort of finished chronicles last week and are not you kind of get kind of in there Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, don't they come next? Well, perhaps in the canon, but not not chronologically. And so as we go through this study, we're trying to put everything in chronological order so that you understand what's going on from Samuel to Chronicles, the last, uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And those books are part of the historical books That cover uh, almost a thousand years of Israel's history, and it's during those times, those wicked times, during those times of rebellions when the prophets uh, were were speaking. Uh, It's also during those times that David wrote much of the Psalms. So we we wanted to stick the Psalms in there uh, where David was speaking. As a matter of fact, the the Psalms did. Really deserve what they all deserve, but the Psalms uh, uh, warrants its own study. So one of these days, maybe we'll just take the time to to go through the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, and uh, uh, David is attributed to playing 75 of them. And all the Psalms basically are worship and play Psalms that they were to uh, utilize in temple worship, in the tabernacle, in, in the temple worship. In in the book of Psalms, uh, Christ is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. Many of the Psalms are what we call Messianic Psalms, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Psalms are all anticipating uh, the Messiah and looking forward to him. But the Psalms cover, is this working, Tim? Am I better? your battery's good yeah. so all all through the psalms uh it's really a historical journey of israel that david all the psalms he's attributed with writing 75 but but actually moses wrote one of them is was written by by moses and the psalms cover from primarily from david's reign all the way through the end of, of chronicles and we see in one of the in, in Psalm 137 we, we see that those that are in the exile are crying out to God uh, to have mercy on them and how sad they are to be not in Israel but to be in Babylonian captivity. so the psalms cover a long period of time. Uh, again David is attributed with 75. Uh, but uh, out of 150, but there are 50. There are 20. but get Ezra, the prophet Ezra. He he wrote many of them. So it covers such a, uh, an important aspect of of Israel's history. And as you read the Psalms, uh, it's there are songs of joy, there are songs of, 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 of sadness, there are songs. It expresses the attitude of Israel during that time. It, it, Psalm 131, Psalm one thirty three, verse 1 is a Psalm of David. Kind of give you an idea of what it was like when he was a king. Uh, he, he talked about how good and how pleasant it is for the brother to dwell together in unity. We'll just go back and read there when David was king and all the difficulty he was having. You betcha you he would say that. How great it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, because they were fighting and they were angry and they were challenging, and so uh, the Lord moved on David's heart and he absolutely. How great it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. And it's absolutely true. So it kind of gives you some insight uh, into David. Proverbs. In Proverbs. Christ uh, is wisdom. As you go through the book of Proverbs, you see that Christ is wisdom. Proverbs was written by, by Solomon, and it was written at the beginning of Solomon's uh, ministry. It was probably written about 1 Kings 4. So you want to say, well, where, where did Solomon write that? Uh, look at 1 Kings chapter 4. Look at 1 Kings chapter 4. And we are going to look at John, but I'm not going to be looking at Psalms and Proverbs. I want you to kind of know where these these fit in. Look at 1 Kings chapter 4. I'll start with verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the That's where the book of Psalms, during this period, in Solomon's life that he's writing. And Solomon's wisdom, excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 31, For he was wiser than all men. Verse 34, And there came all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. Now we know that God is the one who gave Solomon the wisdom. The Proverbs being with me. not have to find that fascinating? Be able to take that and, and plump it into this historical accounting as to what all was going in Solomon's life. Solomon writes Ecclesiastes. Writes Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, uh, we find Christ as the answer. Uh, this was at a time in Solomon's life when he was. Strong. There was a time in his life when he had chased after strange gods, being led by all the wives and the concubines he had. And he talked about his life just being vanity, and vanity, all is vanity. But uh, well, that's that's part of First Kings eleven. You know, First Kings six is talking about his wisdom. It didn't take long. Look at First Kings eleven. Verse 6, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord out of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. No wonder David. And he's right, I mean, Solomon, as he's laying Ecclesiastes, he talks about just the the vanity of life and the, uh, it's just the, the difficulty things that take place that transpire in life. You look at, you read through Ecclesiastes and wonder some of these things, uh, how they fit in, or you read this about what Solomon was going through during this time, and it just makes so much sense. The Song of Solomon, written by Solomon. uh, In Song of Solomon, Christ Jesus is the the beloved Shepherd. Read the Song of Solomon, and all through that is when the first part of Solomon's ministry uh, is he understood that relationship with God and how the Lord Jesus mentioned that beloved that beloved shepherd so it's to me it's just it's fun to get into the word of God it's enjoyable to get into the word of God and to, to locate Christ in the book and these different people that wrote this to place them there in history read these events that were taking place so that you can it, to me just makes it come alive it makes it easy more, uh, more exciting and it, than it already is. But Jonah, bought a prophet and Jonah was. Look at 2 Kings. Where did Jonah, as a matter of fact, Jonah, and, and if you're looking in the canon, you look way back like, there, you, you, you've got uh, Hosea, and you have Daniel, then you have Hosea, then you have Obadiah, then you have Jewel. Uh, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. He's a long way from from these other prophets in in the book, and you're saying, well, why is he he way back here? And you're saying he fits in up here. Well, that's what God's word tells us. It tells us exactly when Jonah was prophesied. And the importance of Jonah is the type of Christ. He is, is not only is he But what happens with Jonah is pointing directly to something that's going to happen to the Lord Jesus as he is the messenger and it has to do with the resurrection. The Bible is very clear that Jonah Jonah is a type of Christ when it comes to that resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew. Chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, let's start with verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from you. he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Well, let me tell you, back in First Kings and uh, Second Kings, they were an evil generation, also wicked, adulterous. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Look at Luke 20, of Luke 11, verse 30, Luke 11. I bring all these scriptures into the truth of this historical accounting of Jonah. By the way, Jonah was followed by a great fish. Uh, you go online, you, you Google Jonah and it's, it's remarkable how many people criticize and scoff and laugh. But you know what? We're people of faith. We're people who believe God's word. So guess what happened to Jonah? <laughs> he was by he swallowed by a great fish. And as a matter of fact, Jonah, the book Jonah "I uh, prepared a great fish uh, to swallow Jonah." Now I also looked it up, and there have been historically men who have been swallowed by uh, not that they spent three days or three nights there. But they have been, a whale mouth is big enough to swallow, but then they spit them out. And, and they live to tell about it. Here, I'd have an heart attack. He wouldn't have had chew. He would not have had a chew on me. I'd have, have an heart attack. What's the world's thoughts of these people? But these people basically it have the inevitable. So it's possible for
1: someone to be swallowed
0: by a whale. But even if they say, well, no, well, we well, can't do it, it was a great fish. God prepared a great fish. God prepared it, they could get it done. Look to Luke, Luke chapter 11, look at verse 30. For as Jonah was assigned unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South, talking about Mashiach, the Queen of the South, shall rise up in the judgment of the men of this generation condemn him, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment of this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So we have Jonah, a messenger, not to the nation of Israel at this point, or, or, but to. Uh, Assyria. Now, Jonah was a prophet to Israel. Look at uh, Second Kings fourteen. Look at Second Kings fourteen. Second Kings fourteen. to avoid and not to do, they were doing. Kind of gives you an idea of the, of the condition when these prophets, including Jonah, came in. And it got to the point that God was pretty much about to uh, wipe His hands of, of Israel, the Northern Kingdom. Hebrews 1:1 tells us that God, in Sunday time, He spoke by these prophets. We read all this that's going on, and we read where God is pleading through the prophets. These historical books, they just give an account of all these things that are taking place. And you read through there, and you go, but where's God? You go to the prophets, and you will see God reaching, God searching, God pleading through these prophets for them to come and trust Him, including the northern kingdom northern part of Asia, and i know it sounds like a broken record It seem like every week we go through these prophets you know we have to talk about that same situation just how evil they were but as we talk about that the thing that i want you to understand is how patient how long-suffering how gracious god is during this time we would have wiped our hands we would have but they said, that's it, no more. But it just shows you how the intense love God had for his chosen people and all that he was going to do. After Jonah, we're going to look at Amos, and Amos is to restore God's promise to restore Israel to both prophesying to, and speaking to, to the throne of the kingdom and all that they were part of, all that they were doing. So they were calling the northern kingdom to repentance. They were calling the northern kingdom to quit doing the things they were doing. And all of a sudden, God does something so interesting through Jonah. He sends Jonah to Assyria, to Nineveh, not to Israel. He was already a prophet to Israel, but he sends this prophet to the northern kingdom, he then sends him to Assyria. Now Assyria is extremely wicked. They're more wicked. Their cruelty was world famous. Their brutality was world famous. And God sends Jonah to Nineveh, to Assyria, to preach that they needed to repent. And what's interesting is, when Jonah goes in, after he gets swallowed up a whale of the great fish and then spit out, Jonah goes in and tells him, you have 40 days. You have 40 days. And how many days was Christ going after his resurrection? I mean, all, all of this just fits. It's such a title. Uh, and so, here Jonah was going to go to, to, to them. going to tell them that God's judgment is about to fall. Now here's the thing about Jonah. Jonah loved his country. Jonah was not a coward. Jonah stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord to Israel. What Jonah didn't want to do was go to the country that he knew God was going to use to be a sword to rain down judgment on Israel. He even tells us, Lord, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to forgive him. It's not because Jonah said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm scared. What Jonah was afraid of was that them was wondering that, that they were going to look to God, this Gentile nation. Now here was this Jew. Going to this Gentile nation preaching truth, and this Gentile nation repents. This Gentile nation that was known for its brutality sees Noah, uh, sees Jonah, who has literally been resurrected as John was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the sun. He was a type of Christ. He was there three days, three nights, just like Lord Jesus, representing the death, representing the burial, res- uh, representing the resurrection. And here was the resurrected one. Forty days he goes and he preaches to Nineveh, Nineveh repents, the king of Nineveh. And we go and see where the king not sure if it was pulled. not sure if it was Philip sure we're not sure exactly which one, but you can pretty much fit the Assyrian king in here that Jonah goes to and says, boys, oh, you need to repent. You need to change ways because God's judgment is going to be upon him. Now, one thing that's interesting is what was Jonah's condition? You spend three days and three nights in the well, and word gets out that hey, this guy has been swallowed by a well and all of a sudden he's there and the juices of that well by a great fish belly who knows if does it doesn't say bleached him out, but well, I can imagine it's probably it. I, I'm, I'm sure that he was completely bleached. I'm sure he was Transformed. He was different. And he started walking down the street. Matter fact, turned to Jonah. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah's right after Obadiah. Identify him. Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh from Samaria were about 500 miles. you got to go 500 miles. And cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. they such a wicked city. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship on Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down to it, to go with them unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Lord, I don't don't want to go to Nineveh. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, verse 4. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man into his god and cast forth away the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. You ever notice about God's people that they can sleep just about any time? Peter did, Jonah did. They, they just have so much faith and confidence that God's in charge, He's in control that. No trouble sleeping. Um, that's the way it was with Jonah. They were, they were scared to death and he was down in the hole of the shield asleep. So the shield master, verse 6, came to him and he said unto him, What meanest thou, O sea? Arise call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. But evidently, Jonah wasn't very concerned about this. And they said, "Everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know with whose curse this evil is upon." So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. I'm sure God had something to do with that to identify that this is the man. He's running from the mission. He is my messenger, and I want him. To take a message to Nineveh, pointing a finger at Jonah. And they said, verse 8, they said unto him, Tell us we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thy occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Which have made the sea and the dry land. You ever notice how God's people always start with creation? Because if God created, then He controls, He rules. And whenever the message is being shared, basically this is Jonah's way, and Paul even does the same thing. Basically saying, My God is bigger than your God. This God you want to know about, He created. My God can whip your God. And God showed it time after time after time that he could do that. And so Jonah's making sure they understand that my God, the one I worship, is the one who created this world, this heaven, the earth, the sea. He's in charge of it all. He's the true and mighty God. And then were the men exceedingly afraid. And they said unto him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He left the get out of Israel hoping that he would not have to do what God was calling him to do. Verse 12, talk about a time of Christ. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you." Here, Jonah is willing to give his life for their life, That they might be saved. That they might be rescued. He is going to give his life. When they throw him in the ocean, in the sea, and the tempest, this guy's gonna. They can't even kind of think about a great fish. Why? The waves are going to get him. And so he... Tells you that Jonah was not afraid. He, he was modest. He was not scared. What he was scared of was that Nineveh was going to repent and what they were going to do to his home country, Israel. And so they cast Jonah out. He willingly gave up his life for them. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea walked and was contemptuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So he took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. See, before they were saying, Which God do you serve? Just call whichever, they were telling all these men, just call whichever, call them whichever God you have so that we can end this. Well, based on what happened, all of a sudden, Jonah said, he's the God of heaven, he's the God of the earth, he's the God of the seas. They throw Jonah in, boom, the, the seas stop. What a testimony. What an opportunity for God to say, see, I told you. I am not of all creation. The men ceased from her The men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. I think they did. I think they did. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and now, for those who doubt whether or not Jonah was a true historical figure and say this couldn't happen, well, I'm gonna take the word of the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. And if Christ says that Jonah was in the well of three days and three nights, and then it, well, it actually happened, that he was a historical figure, guess who decided I'm gonna come down <clears throat> you're going to come down to the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read that all ago in Matthew 12 through 40 he talks about that. In Luke 11 he talks about that. Because that, they were saying, give us a sign, give us a sign. And he's telling them, the only sign you're going to get is the sign that Jonah was to Nineveh. And what did Nineveh do? They repented. Because Nineveh, a Gentile born They're standing in judgment with you, Israel, who's had all the blessings. You have been blessed beyond measure. I have been long suffering with you. They repented within 40 days of hearing the message. God probably still used them. That's a sword. as judgment against the nation of Israel. Look at 310. Let us talk about the first one. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, arise Lord, to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I did thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be over. How many days was the Lord Jesus with us on earth after his resurrection? Forty days. And he was seen by over 500. And those 500 bear witness that him. We've seen him. He's alive. He's alive. And the Lord is saying, there's your be witness. Believe them. So the people of men believe and proclaimed the fast and put on the sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. The word came unto King of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat sack in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published to Nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, hurt nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one who is evil away, and from the violence that is in their hands, who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not. This Gentile nation, they believe the message. had this man to us. Verse 10, And God saw the works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, the word evil there, it, it actually means breaking down all that is good. It, it kind of turns into the idea of chaos. That God changed his mind. That God did not bring upon them all the chaos and the destruction that he was going to bring down upon them in their condition. And so they repented. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he said, "I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled from Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, you are merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die, to die than to live." This Jonah was no coward. What he feared the most was exactly what took place. But he got the graciousness and the mercy that he was willing to not destroy none them. So Jonah started whimpering and crying and lamenting. And God prepared a goal for Jonah. So that Lord, he just sat down to die. He just, he, he just said that, that. That's taking his calling seriously. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what God had planned and used to use against none So God made this board. And Jonah sat down and he got some relief from this board. It blocked the sun. There was some shade. It was not as the heat wasn't beating down. And Jonah. And then God prepared a worm. And that worm came and it ate up that board and the gourd disappeared. And then the whole lesson that God was trying to get through to Jonah is that if you are more concerned with this gourd and your benefit than you this worm. Now, I want you to know, Jonah, that I have there are people in minimum Who do not know their left hand from their right hand? I have all these people. Verse 11. And should not I spare them that great city, where are more than six four thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Who are those that don't know their right hand from their left hand? Well, they're downstairs right now, oh, it's the he but his children, children the Lord will say, I don't want to destroy them. God takes no pleasure in destroying the wicked. He tells us that over and over and over again. And he says, John, thousands of people there, There are children. You, are you so upset about that Lord more so than these children? You're mad because I didn't destroy this nation. There's children there. They're precious. The message wasn't lost on, on John but I think the message is lost. The message is absolutely lost on Israel. It was lost on those in Christ's day that heard him say, this is the sign you're going to get. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in a whale's belly, so shall the of man be. Jonah was a perfect type of Christ. He was a sign of a resurrection. And basically the question, basically the question can be asked Israel, are the people of Nineveh smarter than you? Because see, Christ told Pharisees like Mark and Mary and all those that them gathered at, at uh, Lazarus' tomb. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, you were dead, you're going to live again. And those that they're, not, they're going to live. life everlasting. Christ came to his own and his own received him not. And again, just as I said last week, as you listen to these prophets, as we place them where they go in the history of Israel, when we place them where they were actively pleading and proclaiming and heralding and warning the children of Israel Here is one crying in the wilderness saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hear it from two people. They hear it from John the Baptist who was the forerunner. And they hear it from the Lord Jesus Christ who is God alone. God of Lord. They hear it from him. And what does the nation of Israel do? The very country that God sent Jonah to. Jonah was right. They came and they led Israel into captivity. Judah was going the same direction and God sent prophets to to Judah, to the southern kingdom, saying, don't do this. Don't fall after your sister. I gave your sister a bill of divorcement. They are low-ending. They're not my people. Judah, don't you do this. Prophet after prophet. Jeremiah weeping over what they're doing. Second Chronicles 36, verse 50. <coughs> the Lord love their father was sent to them by his messengers, rising up at times and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God kept sending the messengers there. Because he had compassion on them. Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Obadiah, all of these messengers. And by the way, where this came from, I have no idea. But I'd like to chew on whoever came after this. As you read the scriptures, You'll hear people talk about when you have the major prophets and you have the minor prophets. I'm going to tell you, God sends you. There's nothing minor about that. The only reason you have your major prophets and they'll say, "Well, we classified them because they're the longest books." Yeah, but don't call them. You know, they're, but they're major because they have the longest books. These others have short books. Well, just because those writings. And their message was short, does not make them minor. And I want to tell whoever came up with that. You um, should be cruel. need to Because there's nothing minor about any of the prophets. They're all major in God's purpose. But in verse, six, uh, verse 16. God sends His messengers, and they mocked the messengers of God, and despise His words, and misuse His prophets, until the wrath of God arose against His people. Look at that last part. Till there, no really, there, really there was no remedy. The word remedy here literally is healing. There was no healing. And what had God told Israel he would be to them. I will be Jehovah Bushika. I will be the Lord who he will speak. But there came a time when he said, there, there's no more healing. there's no more remedy because of your sin, because of your wickedness. And God would have been right to have said, that's it, I'm tired of healing." I've had all of you, I've had all of you, I can tell But in His love and His mercy, He looked beyond their faults. And He had hidden in Him a mystery, a secret. Yeah. He knew all along what He was going to do in order to redeem this broken bent sinful cursed humanity going to send himself in the flesh to die in my flesh when God had every reason to just wipe out mankind instead of his wrath we experienced his grace not a God so isn't that a God worth praising and loving? this morning, if you don't know that God, let me encourage you by faith to trust Him for your salvation. By faith believe that Christ Jesus died for your sins, believe He was buried, believe He rose again. By faith you take God at His word, by faith, you believe what God's Word says, and you don't think you've got to add anything to what Christ Jesus did on the cross to make God love you more or to make your salvation any more secure. See, what pleases God done is faith. And you are expressing faith in His finished work, not on your ongoing works. Isn't that wonderful? To know that our salvation is not based on what we do, but on what Christ has done. Please, you talk about that all the time. Well, I will until God calls me on. And my hope is even in correction. As I'm being caught up, let's God call me home. Even as I'm being caught up in correction, I'm going to say it's not based on what I've done, but so what he do done. Yeah. But also, if it's not the that I need to say that, if you hear that echo, I know the passage is really <laughs> called up there. But even on my deathbed. The last words I'm going to say. Not based on what I've done. Not based on what I do. But based on what we've done. If you don't have that assurance, let me encourage you to talk to somebody. Either me or one of our elders, we would love to talk to you about that salvation we have in Christ. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for that perfect, complete salvation. Father, we'd love to hear that old story. Even if Sunday after Sunday after Sunday we talk about man's evilness and we talk about your matchless grace, Father, may it even be so. Father, because that's a story that just needs to be told over and over and over. Because it's so true. And so, Father, may we never tire of hearing the gospel Father, may we never tire of hearing the Your own suffering, even mercy, and even grace. Father, I pray if there is anyone here this morning that has never trusted you as Savior, Father, this will be the day, this will be the moment, by faith, they trust you. Realizing there is nothing, there is nothing. They can do it. you freely give to all the body. We pray these things in Christ's holy most precious name. Amen.